0: One parent, two kids, 423 national park sites. This is Expedition National Parks. Dispatches and stories from one family's journey to discover the natural, historical, and cultural treasures of the United States.
1: Don't be too shy. Be ready to laugh at yourself. Be ready to make mistakes. Try to learn some of the local language and try to use it. And it doesn't matter that you can't pronounce it right or that they don't understand you. They, they will love you for trying
0: Torbjörn Pedersen, known online as Once Upon a Saga, has visited 203 countries and is on the verge of setting a world record. He is short just nine countries to gain the title of traveling to all countries in the world on a single journey without taking an airplane, the ultimate global expedition. While our own expedition is spanning beyond the U.S. National Park to those of other countries and UNESCO World Heritage Sites, we are lucky to speak to him about his seven-year odyssey, which he chronicles on his blog and social media channels as Once Upon a Saga.
1: Well, my name is Torbjorn, and which is a Danish name, and the first part is Thor, the second part is Bear. So as I travel, I call myself Thor, and uh, I come from a background within shipping and logistics, and I've had a career which spanned uh, for about 12 years. And then I learned that no one in history has gone to every country in the world completely without flying, and I didn't think I was going to go out and do it. I thought I was going to continue with my shipping career. I had a girlfriend at the time back home. She's my fiance now. And um, yeah, I just sort of got hooked. So began planning, brought some friends on board. And on the 10th of October, 2013, I left Denmark and crossed the border into Germany. And uh, then I was on my way (laughs) That's seven years ago now. It's uh, seven years and three months now, I suppose. And I'm in Hong Kong. And I wasn't supposed to be in Hong Kong at all. I came to, so- to-, to Hong Kong as transit between two countries. So it was just supposed to be four days in Hong Kong. Uh, I arrived on the 28th of January, 2020. Disembarked the ship, went in to buy a new uh, mobile phone because I busted the old one. And then I was waiting for the ship to take me onwards to Palau. And uh, there was Chinese New Year, which delayed uh, the port. So I got an extra seven days. And within those seven days, Palau closed its borders. And then other countries closed their borders. And then eventually it was declared a global pandemic. And I was stuck in Hong Kong, and I've been here for a year now. I have uh, nine countries left within this project, which makes it sort of tragic. Um, I, I would have been home probably by October 2020 if it hadn't been for the pandemic. and. Um, yeah, so it's a project which was set to take between three and a half and four years in total. And it's already seven years now. And I don't know how much more of my life I'm willing to give to complete this project, but I'm still here and uh, let's see where everything goes. But well, the final nine are all island nations and none of them have ferry connections. So you need to get creative in regards to reaching them, especially without flying. And the nine are, um, Palau, Tuvalu, Vanuatu, Samoa, and Tonga, which are some really small, uh, beautiful Pacific Island nations. Then there's New Zealand and Australia, which are more well-known, and uh, Sri Lanka and Maldives. And that's it.
0: Like all of us, his plans and life were severely changed by COVID-19. Yet that has not daunted him. He has remained busy with many projects, including his work as a Goodwill Ambassador for the Red Cross Crescent Crystal Movement.
1: So uh, before leaving home, I I became a goodwill ambassador of the Danish Red Cross for the purposes of this project. And um, I've been visiting the Red Cross and the Red Crescent globally. It's the world's largest humanitarian organization and it today can be found across 192 countries around the world. So uh, some years ago, There were some debates in regards to Red Cross and Red Crescent, and these, this is the same. There's no difference between Red Cross and Red Crescent. It's the two different emblems, but same seven fundamental principles, Geneva Convention, humanitarian aid, humanitarian work, and so on. The original one is the Red Cross. It was founded in 1863 in Switzerland, and that's also where the headquarters are today in Geneva. And uh, then later on, we got the Red Crescent that paid a visit to the movement in 189 countries around the world. And I've uh, engaged with volunteers, I've been engaging with uh, staff members. Uh, sometimes I've been invited to visit uh, humanitarian projects in the region, and I met with uh, the beneficiaries as well. And um, the way I see my role is to promote the movement and the humanitarian work in whichever way I can. Um, I think a lot of people, they they sort of know a little bit about the Red Cross, at least, that, it's, that it has something to do with humanitarian work and, and helping other people. But I think most people do not know to which extent and how much work is being carried out and in which directions it sometimes leads um it's it's truly remarkable organisation and um you know so the red crescent in iran they have a fleet of helicopters so you, you might not expect that the, that the movement would have helicopters they have a fleet of helicopters which they can use for search and rescue and uh, and when there's a disaster of one form or the other they can go out and respond to that in kenya they have a five star hotel um, in the, in the U.S., I visited first in, uh, in Washington, where the headquarters are. Very impressive building and very, very impressive engagement from the American Red Cross. And then later on, I had the chance to team up with uh, the Red Cross in Florida, where I was invited to come out to um, a trailer park where we would knock on the doors and then we would, um, we would talk to the people and, and, and suggest that we would put up a, a smoke alarm. And if they didn't already have a smoke alarm, then we would provide them with one. And if they had one, we would check the batteries and, and make sure that they were working because the fire brigade in the region had some complaints that uh, there, were, there were more fires in, uh, in, this, in this settlement than anywhere else. So um, it was a collaboration with, with the fire brigade in, uh, in increasing safety in, in the homes in the trailer park. Uh, it, it can truly be a million, million different things. And um, yeah, so I've been visiting, engaging, and symbolically I'm linking the movement throughout every country in the world, linking it together in a single journey. I would want anyone, anyone to engage with the Red Cross or Red Crescent in any way they can, Um, Donate, uh, donate time, donate blood, uh, donate money, um, get engaged, um, volunteer if you can do this. Absolutely. I mean, there's an amazing community uh, amongst volunteers globally, and uh, it will be enriching in many, many different ways. And obviously, you're also helping your local community or potentially internationally as well. So, yeah, people should definitely get involved.
0: You also talked about the importance of understanding cultural differences and learning from others.
1: I believe we live in a world that is becoming more and more international, more and more connected through social media, through travel, through different, different ways. Um, currently, we're not traveling as much, but we'll get back on board. And, and it's, it's, uh, it's not a small world. It's a very big planet, but it is very well connected. And um, if we are not tolerant, then we're heading into trouble. I mean, we are going to be engaging a lot more with people that have different ideas and their food smells differently and they dress differently and uh, they speak with a different accent or tone and the uh, words maybe mean something different. Different places around the world, there are places where you shouldn't look people in the eyes. There, there are places where you shouldn't shake hands with people. Um, you greet you people in different ways. There are places where the elderly, they uh, get um, all, all the attention and, uh, and, and respect. And then there are places around the world where the elderly are stored away and, and forgotten about. But, but we need to understand that things are done in different ways around this planet, and that there's not just one solution. There might be different solutions. And that one solution might work one place, but not somewhere else. And another solution might work somewhere else. We need that tolerance. We need to understand that the fundamentals are the same. I mean, food and children and laughter and good weather and happy memories and safety and security—like these are things that people engage with. But, but you know, the way it's decorated might be a little bit different from time to time. And um, because people have different opinions, doesn't mean that they're idiots. they might be the wrong opinion, but they reached that opinion for some reason, and uh, we might want to respect that as well. So I think that is super important, um, the, the tolerance and, and the understanding that we're not alone on this planet and we need each other. The official motto of the project is a stranger is a friend you've never met before. I took that from a Danish song, <laughs> And then uh, I translated into English, and I thought it sounded really, really nice. So we went with that. And then within a couple of weeks of traveling, I, I, it went more from being really nice to being, this is definitely true. like this is this, this is just the, it's, it's hard to explain, but I, I really believe in that sentence in, in many different ways. So first of all, I think that you, we should, more often than not, give people benefit of the doubt. And, and you go out and you meet people, like, why, why wouldn't they help you? Why wouldn't they be a potential friend? If you're kind and you look them in the eyes and you try to remember their name and you let them speak and, and all these things, then uh, you're, you're building up the, the foundation for friendship. This is what I believe. And um, no, we're not going to get along with everyone on this planet, obviously not. But you probably get along with a good ninety-five percent, if not more. And uh, a lot of it is on you. It's on your behavior and um, how 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 accepting you are of different opinions and cultures and, and ways of life. If we're storming towards people, believing that we have the only solution and we know what's right and our beliefs are correct and nobody else can be right unless they believe in the things that we believe in, then you're probably off to a really bad start. And it is quite a diverse planet in in some ways. And it's a very uniform planet in many other ways. And, And that would lead me to something else I say, which is people are just people. And it really doesn't matter where you go in the world. I mean, people, they get stuck in traffic, people, they take selfies, they have social media accounts they upload to these, Uh, people fall in love, boys around the world, they spend oceans of time trying to work out what to say (laughs) to women across this planet, which will make them smile or fall in love with them. And uh, people, I mean, even in the most hardcore places where there is uh, hunger and fatigue and uh, disruption, people fall in love and get married, Uh, people fight and people make up. Um, When Game of Thrones was running, everyone was talking about Game of Thrones. When uh, Donald Trump was running for president, everyone was talking about that. When he was president, everyone was talking about that. I mean, we are very much the same people around the world, for good and worse, and often, more often than not, for good, I think that mostly you'll find that people have no intention of, of harming other people or destroying other people's lives. People they just want to get on with their own lives they want to make it as good for themselves as they can and their friends and and their ecosphere and and and, uh, and then that's sort of it. they're not trying to take over a country or dominate a region that's that's for the very few. Some people are trying to do that and then uh, yeah. People are just people. Then, um, yeah, so what else do I have? Keep on keeping on. I heard that in a song at one point. I thought like, that that works. And then since then, I found out that's in, like, a million different songs. (laughs) He said, keep on keeping on. But um, I really think that's important for a lot of things in life, Um, whether you want to lose weight or you want to finish an education or you're looking for a job or you, you need to... You could say it in many different ways, you know, dust yourself off and, and get up, get back on the horse and, and all these things. But yeah, keep on keeping on. It's, it's the only way. There is no giving up. There's no saying we can't do this anymore. There is, uh, you need to weigh out what's important in, in life and if what you've been fighting for for the last 20 years is still important today. Um, but if it is, then keep fighting for it. And then eventually, hopefully, you will achieve uh, some results.
0: And now it is time for our outdoor organization to During the month of February, we are sharing the work of an outdoor organization, SIAT, see you at the top, as part of continued community effort to showcase organizations who are working towards social justice and more inclusive public lands. SIAT was founded by a mother and two daughters, Team Hood, Marsha, Erica, and Ebony Hood, with a mission to increase access to outdoor spaces for black and brown youth, while simultaneously creating inspiring joy in places that haven't been traditionally safe or welcoming to people of color. To accomplish this goal, SCIAT organizes year-round outdoor programming for youth and adults. You matter, study abroad in leadership program, and get black outside excursions. You can follow SCIAT on Instagram at SCIAT We asked them about what keeps you motivated.
1: Yeah, well, I feel that I have a huge responsibility, not only to myself, but also to thousands of people around the world that have supported me and have encouraged me over the years. And people who write me very personal messages about how important what I do has been for them and the way they, they view the world because of the way I, I manage my social media and uh, tell my stories in the blog and so on, but also um, the, the entire spirit of, I think a lot of people recognize it has not been easy and um, and I'm still here. And I, there, there are three cardinal rules and I didn't break any of them. I, I never flew within this project. I never spent less than 24 hours in a country and uh, I never went back home in between. I'm still out here. Uh, on top of that, I didn't pay out any bribes um at any point throughout this entire project and i've been to some very very corrupt places and, and still managed to get through it in a decent way with handshakes and smiles and drinking lots and lots of tea sometimes but we've, we found a way uh, through it and i try to treat people with respect as much as i possibly can i try to reply to people even though they're super annoying, some people I still try to be kind and, and helpful and, uh, and I think people, they take too bad.
0: The United States was the 54th country he visited in this journey. although his connections in the country go much further back.
1: I used to live in the U.S. when I was a kid. Um, I was born in Denmark and then very quickly we moved to Canada for four years. And then after Canada we moved to the U.S. for two and a half years. So from about the age of four to six and a half, I was living in the U.S. And, um, and then I've been a couple of times for holiday and vacations and And then I also had a job um, in Fort Lauderdale. So I came back and worked for a while there. But within this project, I was coming from Canada. I was coming with a bus from Toronto to Buffalo. And then the bus connected me to New York City and I arrived uh, really, really early in the morning, so maybe 3.30, uh, 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning. And I got off the bus and I started walking through the city and uh, and I walked until I reached Central Park. And I was really tired and I decided, well, that's not the worst place to fall asleep. So I went in and found a tree and and I went to sleep underneath the tree. And then I woke up and the sun was shining and the park was busy and people all over the place. And And um, I went to a bird bath, and I just kind of shaved the edges of my beard. And there was free Wi-Fi in Central Park. I was like, this is great, and toilets and everything. We're like, oh, this is amazing. And then I I saw a friend in uh, New York, and then I went to New Jersey, and I spent the night there with some friends in New Jersey. And then I got on a bus down to Washington, And um, I went to see some of the museums. I went to visit with the Red Cross in Washington. And I spent a few days in Washington. And then I got on a train that took me up to Chicago and then connected with another train that took me all the way down to San Francisco. And that was a wonderful train ride. It was called the California Zephyr. And I made some friends on that train, which I, I mean, just a few days ago, we were texting with each other. So, so years later, we're still communicating. And uh, yeah, and I saw so much of the country, went across the Rocky Mountains and the Mississippi River. And it was truly, truly magnificent. It's such a beautiful country. And then in San Francisco, I had a meeting. So I was hanging around for a bit and um, I was waiting for the meeting. So I had good time to explore some of the tourist attractions in and around San Francisco. That was quite amazing. And then I got on a bus, and I headed south into Mexico. Then I did Central America, and I got to South America, did all of South America, and I came up again into the Caribbean, and I visited all the countries in the Caribbean. And then from the Bahamas, I came on a ferry to Miami, I think. And uh, then I was back in Florida, and I saw some friends in Florida, and I was waiting for a container ship, which was going to take me back to Europe from Norfolk in uh, Virginia. So (laughs) I got on a Greyhound bus and went up to Norfolk. And then one of these friends that I met on the uh, train on the California Saffir, he flew across country to come and see me off in in, uh, Norfolk. So that was quite amazing. Yeah, so I I can sort of say that within this project, I went north to south because I did go from Canada and to Mexico. And I was in uh, California, which is west, and I was in Florida, which is East. So I can also say i went I went northeast and then east' I went north, north south east, west.
0: We asked them about a slow travel approach, particularly when it comes to container ships.
1: Yeah, well, so they're not that slow, actually. They go really, really fast. Most sailboats and a lot of speed boats wouldn't be able to keep up with a container ship. So it's been quite practical for me. Uh, the, these these ships, they're, they're huge and they're, they're very stable in the ocean. So waves or swell up to two or three meters, you, you wouldn't you wouldn't feel it. I mean, up to 10 feet, you, you wouldn't feel it at all. <laughs> you, you're very comfortable. You have your own cabin and your shower and you can walk around, and stretch your legs. Um, it's not very common to come on board container ships. There are ways where you can book a ticket for very, very few uh, ships in the big picture. Most ships do not want to have anything to do with passengers. Uh, passengers are like, why would they bother? There's, there's no point. Their business is is cargo, and they go from one port to the next. And it's not this romantic uh, picture that most people have where they hang around for a few days and the sailors, they go inland and they meet and they have a, a woman in each port and they party. And there's no time for that whatsoever. They, uh, the busiest time for the ships are when they are alongside in a port and uh, cargo operations are over in a matter of hours. And then they head out back to sea again and life on board is a mixture of uh, work. There's nobody on board the ship for fun. Everyone is on board. Uh, everyone who's on board the ship has a function, and, uh, and there's a lot of work. So a, a lot of their time is spent working on board, and then they're, typically their um, food is served three times a day: for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So people they will gather around meal times. And then in the evening or the morning, depending on your on your shift, you might have some spare time, and you'll sit and watch a movie or read a book, and maybe sit and talk to some of the other guys on board and so on. But that's their routine on board. Now, there was a time where you could uh, approach a ship, and then you could offer yourself that you could work or cook or clean or something. Like this. But those days are long gone as well. Maybe with a, a small fishing boat or something like this, you could get away with something. that. But a container ship, no, that's, that's over and done with. That's 20 years ago at least. So today, if you do come on board a container ship, you are a passenger. And um, I, I've always been treated with a lot of kindness on, on board these ships. Um, the ships I've been traveling with are not the kind where you book a ticket and pay and come on board. It has been a negotiation uh, where I approached the shipping companies and I told them about what I'm doing and the project. And then in most cases, they never reply. And then in some cases, they reply and say, it's impossible. It cannot be done. And then in very, very few cases, they say, yeah, sure. We can work something out. We would love to help you. And then I actually got on board. And now that I've done it a lot, I have some contacts. So. I just reach out to the same people again and again. And uh, usually if it's possible for them to help me, then they do help me. And uh, yeah, But there, the, the problem is really incentive. So one way of course is to pay to get on board. And uh, you can search this online. Uh, yeah, it's very expensive. And you can search this online and um, a few shipping companies will pop up and they will offer a few cabins for certain selected routes for certain months uh within a year and so you're quite constricted within how that works but it's, it's definitely doable and lots of people do it and the reason why it costs as much as it does is because it's not worthwhile for the shipping companies to do it really and uh, there are enough people who want to do it for whatever reason so the, so they can have that kind of prices but it would be far cheaper to fly for sure um but yeah it's an experience and then the ships I got on board, they treat me with a lot of kindness. Um, I usually sit and dine with the officers. I have my own cabin. Everyone has their own cabin. Um, sometimes I get a really big cabin. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's more of a, I, I enjoy being on board. It's like a holiday for me because more often than not, I do not have internet access. So I'm forced to be offline. And uh, no one is bothering me for anything whatsoever. There are no video calls or interviews and there are no dinner parties. There's there's just me and the ship and the ocean. And uh, without the internet, suddenly I'm forced to take care of myself. So I might spend more time. There's a gym on board. I might spend more time with that. I'll read a book or two. Uh, I'll sit and relax with a movie. Maybe I'll sleep a little bit more and, uh, and I, have a, I have a really good conscience about it because we're heading from A to B. So I don't need to worry about transportation. I don't need to worry about meals. I don't need to worry about accommodation. Everything is sorted for me.
0: His budget is low and he hopes that this demonstrates to people who want to travel that a long journey can be within their own reach.
1: Yeah, so I have a ridiculously small budget for this project, which is 20 US dollars per day. And some people, they look at me and go like, that's a fortune, 20 US dollars a day. I know a guy with a bicycle who traveled for years, with $10 per day. That's true. 20 US dollars can be very comfortable in some places, um, but we're talking about every country (laughs) in the world. And if you spend seven days in every country in the world, then you wouldn't come back home until after four years. If you spend a month in every country in the world, which is much more preferable, uh, you, you want to spend some time in a country and meet people and, and you know see something else in the city, but a month in every country would be 16 years of your life. So you need to sort of push a little hard. You would need to be on the move, and that makes it more expensive. So if you're traveling slow, you typically save a lot of money. And if you travel fast, it just gets more expensive. Just uh, one way of looking at it are the visas. So if you buy a visa and the visa is 100 US dollars, if you spend 10 days within that country, then the visa price comes down to $10 per day. But if you're only two days within that country, then your visa was 50 US dollars per day, right? So accommodation, transportation, meals, and visas are covered within those 20 US dollars per day. And the thing that I say is that for most most people, and it's a little bit arrogant to say that because there are certainly people who wouldn't be able to raise 20 US dollars per day. But for a lot of people um, who enjoy traveling, they 20 US dollars per day is not a fortune. So you should be able to raise that um, if you want to travel for a month or two now, that's one element. The other element is time. People always complain they don't have money, they don't have time. I say, well, it's not really the money if it's 20 US dollars per day and the time. Well, you have to make that for yourself, but we are we're a generation now where we're probably going to be 100 years old, that uh, everything is a lot safer. And we got helmets for who knows what, and vitamins, and healthier food, and uh, everything's surveyed, and, and uh, yoga, and carrots, and, and all this stuff. We're, we're going to be 100 years old. Doctors are getting better. Medicine is getting better. Treatments are getting better. So you could probably find a couple of years within your 100 years. To go traveling, so time you could probably make the time as well. I'm I hope uh, it shouldn't be it shouldn't be such a big issue. And I would advocate that everyone should get out traveling. I'm not saying that. Tra- I mean traveling is a great education. It's not the only education. People should get a formal education, and but but the traveling education is super important as well.
0: Going more slowly allows for a more immersive approach
1: i mean there are great ways to travel you can in in central america there are plenty of farms where you can travel down to the farm and then you can stay there for a few months and you can work and make a little bit of money and then you can continue traveling while you have the entire um, you have the entire experience of working at a farm in a foreign country as well and a lot of people they go to australia and they work at a farm there there are hostels around the world they're always looking for staff someone to take night shifts and this kind of stuff, so you'll probably get a room and maybe a, a small salary for, uh, for working at a hostel. Different ways that these things can be done. Some people have jobs where they can work while on the road, so all you need is a laptop and an internet connection, and then you can you can keep going like that, and that's great as well. But try to stay as independent as possible. So that you don't have to run around and uh, tick off A, B, C, D, E, F, and G and make everyone happy. Um, That would be the way to travel. And then if you want to go to every country in the world, yeah, easy. It's not that hard anymore. Um, It is hard, but it's not hard like 20 years ago hard. Today, you can find all the tips, everything you need to know. You can just, just search it on the internet. And then people, they blog about it and they say, well, this is where you get this visa, and you need to bring these documents, and uh, this is where you get your this, and this is where you do your that, and you cross this border, and you do this in C. So it's not that hard anymore to go to every country, but try doing it without flying, <laughs> and that is hard, because they are closing down um, ferry lines, uh, there are far less ferry connections today. Um, there are a lot of visas which are available when you fly. They're not available when you want to cross a land border. And uh, it's, it's incredibly hard to get on board uh, vessels today that are not purposeful for uh, transporting people as well. And it's getting harder and harder every day. So, yeah, it's, it's a huge adventure. Go out and see if you can do 20 countries. And if you still like it after that, go for 50. And if you still like it, go for 100. And if you still like it, <laughs> keep going. And if you don't, then you, had, you didn't break your own uh, illusions about who you are because you only aim for 20 countries or 25 countries instead of going out and saying, I'm going to do them all.
0: Um, yeah. He has traveled in all sorts of watercraft, not just container ships, and has offered some tips on how listeners can embark on their own adventures. Um,
1: if it floats... I've been with with, uh, shrimp trawlers, I've been with fishing boats in the Caribbean, I went with a crab fishing boat. Um, I've been with sailboats, I've been with motorboats, I've been with uh, cruise ships, I've been with with it. Um, The sailboats is typically that you approach people at a marina. Uh, there are different ways uh, one way is to print something out or write it down on a piece of paper and then stick it up at uh, the local clubhouse and then hope that someone sees it and calls you and offers you a ride uh, another way is to uh, get a radio a vhf radio and then uh, go hello hello here i am uh, anyone listening i would very much like to go to so and so can anyone help me and a uh, third way is to, um, if you can gain access to the marina, sometimes you can't, sometimes there's security, but if you can gain access to the marina, uh, just go from one boat to the next and go like, hello, how are you doing today? Are you leaving anytime soon? Do you think you're leaving north? Because I'm going north, can you help me? Um, but yeah, so I've been on a few sailboats where it, it was a family, one of them was a family, the, the boat was called ACES-4. And uh, it was a wonderful family, mother, father, uh, daughter, and, and a son. And uh, they, they they met with me. And then they went away to have a family meeting to go like, OK, is everyone on board with this? Are we taking a passenger? It's not just the father makes a decision and then brings a stranger on board the boat. Well, they, they're a community. And then they came back and went like, yeah, we all agreed. It would be fun to have you on board for a couple of days. We're leaving on Tuesday. Um, we need to clean our boat for barnacles. Are you happy to help with that? And uh, also, uh, we are hoping that we'll be sailing day and night, obviously. So we're hoping that maybe you can take the controls for a few hours during the night, that you will have a watch as well and uh, a shift on board. And like, yeah, sure. So you become a part of the, of the ship in, 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 that, in that sense.
0: He has learned a lot from his travels and shared some of his own top travel tips, including how he packs.
1: Um, I have a duffel bag, uh, an off-face duffel bag with one big room and nice clothes and extra shoes and some books and uh, uh, yeah, basic, basic stuff. I have a lot of electronic devices. And if you have electronic devices, then you also have a lot of cables. I also need to drag these cables around wherever I go. And then I have a small day pack, which I can uh, bring with me in the bus or I sit it, and have on my lap if I want to. And in that I have some of my uh, Red Cross work and document documents and so on. I have, again, a, a book. I have a toothbrush and uh, a bottle of water and uh, maybe some snacks and yeah, any, you know anything I would need. So I sort of work with three layers of, um, of um, mm, which word can I use to? So, so I have stuff that I have on me, which I have in my pockets, and those are like really essentials. So that stuff I wouldn't leave in a bag anywhere because the bag could get stolen. And then uh, the next layer would be this small bag that I have my day pack, where again I, I put some stuff in that which I wouldn't want to lose and um, I keep it close by and I bring it with me and it's on my lap in a taxi or it's between my legs when I'm in a bus or a train and so on. And then I have the duffel bag, which I don't want to lose also, but if I did lose the duffel bag, it wouldn't be the end of the world um, because I can replace the items uh, within it. And the duffel bag can then go on top of the bus or under the bus or into a storage room and this kind of stuff.
0: He has made the most of his unexpected year in Hong Kong.
1: I like to set myself uh, side projects. And uh, these side projects, they help me cope with the situation and gives me something to do. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a good way of, of spending my time. And I've done a number of things. So We started out doing step challenges. Um, and a guy named Jacob and I, we, we challenged each other. And we managed doing some 230, 240 steps within a week. And uh, and we thought that was incredible. And then other... Yeah, about 240,000 steps. uh, 240,000 steps. 230 or 240,000 steps in a week. And people were very impressed and we were very impressed. (laughs) And then uh, some other people said, oh, they would like to be a part of a step challenge. And then, obviously, um, so between Jacob and I, one of us won and the other one lost. So the other one was challenging, going like, "No, i I can win next time." And then we did a, a second step challenge, which for many here in Hong Kong was the first step challenge because that one included twelve people. And uh, this time, the winner took more than four hundred thousand steps. So it was, it was it was it was crazy. And within a week, again. And then uh, we went for the ultimate step challenge, <laughs> a while after that. And in that I set myself the goal to do half a million steps in a, in a week, which was about 12 hours of walking every day. Uh, so that was a full-time job for, for a week and then some, and I was knackered and my, it took months for my feet to mend up <laughs> um, and I didn't even win. There were, I think, three other guys did uh, more than half a million steps. And the guy who won, he did uh, 600,000 steps or something like this. So it was really off the charts. Then I decided, um, so this this isn't in uh, chronological order. So while here in Hong Kong, I also decided I was going to do the uh, McLahost Trail. And I packed the bag, and I went out, and I did it uh, in one hike, but uh, over three days. So I walked, um, it's 10 sections, and I walked the first uh, three sections. And then I I spent the night, I I pitched um, a hammock, and I spent the night out there. And then the next morning at sunrise, I continued on my way. I did four stages, I think. And then I pitched my uh, hammock again and cooked some food for myself. And then uh, on the last day, I walked through to the end, and I felt like, ah, I'm the hiking king of Hong Kong. And people were laughing at me going like, you're not the hiking king of anywhere. You know I mean, do you know where you are? People love hiking here. Besides, you just did the MacLehose. that's only one of four major trails. And I was like, what? Like, how big is Hong Kong? I said, no, no, there are three other trails. So I learned about the Hong Kong Trail, the Lentau Trail, and the Wilson Trail. And then those automatically became goals for me. So I started off doing the Hong Kong Trail, but I wanted to do it in one go that's 50 kilometers. So that's about 31 miles, I guess. And um, and that would be the furthest I've ever gone in a single setting. And uh, I did that with some friends and I felt very accomplished afterwards. Like, wow, I've done this ultra distance. This is amazing. So, and then I started speculating in how much harder it would be to do the Lentau Trail, which is 70 kilometers. So from 50 kilometers and then an additional 20 kilometers on top of that. And then um, I organized that. And I, again, went out with some friends and we did that in one go and clocked that one in 22 hours. And then the next one was then another eight kilometers. So that's the Wilson Trail. And we went out and did that. It took 26 hours from start to, to completion. And then I've done all four. And then quite recently, I, I got the idea that I wanted to see if I could do the, the McLehose trail, which is the 100 kilometer trail, and 62 mile trail here in Hong Kong. I wanted to see if I could do that in less than 24 hours. So I structured that and I got some friends on board and we went out and did it last weekend and managed in 19 hours and 35 minutes. <laughs> so, so pretty happy with that. And then one of my friends here in Hong Kong, who's uh, an amateur athlete, um, but, but don't let that title fool you. Um, I mean, when he says an amateur athlete, he's been running with the top dogs and he's been making some money from it. But he's, he wouldn't be in the Olympics or anything, but he's very, very fit. And he said that my time on the Mackle Trail would be equivalent to a 65 year old woman. <laughs> then, then I would get a seventh place in that category. <laughs> so, yeah, so there you go. But I've done, done motivational speaking gigs here in Hong Kong. I've been to schools and engaged with the students. I've been to a number of different companies. I've engaged with uh, Kun, um which is a cultural center here in Hong Kong, uh, the World Wildlife Foundation. I've uh, been to visit them and engage with them. Um, I recently started a job where I'm working at the Danish Seamen's Church and my job is to service the ships that come in that carry a Danish flag. So I email them and ask them if they need anything. And uh, just before this uh, video call, I was emailing with a captain who said that he needs uh, five kilos of coffee <laughs> and, uh, and he needs some newspapers in different languages. So I'm going to acquire that for him and then when the ship comes in, in a few days, I'll go on board and deliver that. Um, yeah, I've got friends here and, um, and we hang out and we do stuff together and I've done tons and tons of interviews. I've never done as many interviews in my entire life as I've done out of Hong Kong. It's been ridiculous. Um, yeah, and I still have my fiance back home. So managing a long-distance relationship and uh, we do video calls and we text each other and, and I still have family and friends back home as well. And yeah, there's, there's a lot to balance.
0: He is a big fan of nature and has raised up opportunities to discover and explore nature in all of his travels, but particularly during his year in Hong Kong.
1: When when I was in San Francisco, we went across the Golden Gate Bridge to go and see the giant redwoods. I imagined that was a national park. But I didn't go because I say I'm going to a national park. I went to see the trees. I just think the trees were in a national park. Am, am I right? Yeah. And and those were astonishing. And that's a very clear memory for me walking around looking at those giants, just looking up, 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 up and hugging them and taking photos and <laughs> And that was quite amazing. Then more recently, I was in Papua New Guinea. And um, I, I went to a national park of, of theirs, um, which was one of the things I could do <laughs> when, when I was in the region. It was beautiful. And they, uh, they caged some animals there. So it was sort of like not really a zoo, but they did have some birds and, and so on as well. And, and that was really amazing I really like nature um, Hong Kong is full of, of national parks and I suppose I've been to all of them I probably walked across all of them but the the national parks in, in Hong Kong I go to them for purposes of hiking uh, and yeah to let off steam let out steam sometimes and Fill my lungs with what I believe is fresh air. <laughs> I'm not always sure, but I, I do think it might be fresh air. And, and some majestic views and so on. And if you're looking to meet foreigners or locals, then uh, don't be too shy. And uh, be ready to laugh at yourself. Be ready to make mistakes. Try to learn some of the local language and try to use it And it doesn't matter that you can't pronounce it right or that they don't understand you they they will love you for trying and it's a really really good uh icebreaker to to do so and then um, offer whatever you can offer if you like hiking then tell people you like hiking and ask them if they want to go hiking with you Uh, if you like talking then see if there's a coffee shop and then ask people if you want to go to the coffee shop and, and talk and then this comes back to some of the stuff I said earlier, you know, you need to be open-minded and you need to be a little bit curious. And instead of saying, no, I know that's wrong. You're wrong. I'm right. Then say, that's really interesting. Um, can you explain a little bit more about that so I understand it because I heard something else or, you know, like, but smile, try to smile as much as possible. It, it goes a long way and it, it is a nice bridge between people as well and uh, yeah just kind of have I don't know if you can teach people to, to to sense these things but try to practice a little bit like if people want to talk to you and you want to talk to them great if you want to talk to people and they don't want to talk to you then don't force it I mean you, you need to sort of sense if people want to talk to you or not or if you're invited or not um, and if people do invite you for something say yes say yes, even though even though you don't really have time or you're tired just say yes and uh, then find the energy later on um, but it's a great way to come out and meet people, just say yes
0: thank you for listening, again please remember to check out and support Sciat. you can find more info on our episode page, we would love your feedback leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or message us on our social media accounts we are Expedition National Parks on Facebook and Instagram, and Expedition NPS on Twitter. Thanks to Jason Shaw for the music. And as always, follow the inspiration of the Junior Ranger motto: keep exploring, learning, and protecting. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.